Hello and welcome to In Good Company on NTS Radio, a monthly show for working women with me, Atega Uagba. If this is the first time you're tuning in, a quick intro. I'm the founder of Women Who, which is a London-based community for creative working women. And I'm also the author of the Sunday Times bestseller, Little Black Book, a modern career guide for working women that you can find on Amazon or at all good bookstores. This podcast is all about providing you with the practical advice and fresh ideas that will help you work better aided and abetted by some of the smart, successful, creative women I know. New episodes are released monthly, and you can listen to them live on NTS or download them via iTunes. So make sure you subscribe now to automatically get each new episode straight to your phone. We've got a great archive too, featuring some incredible women. So make sure you go back and listen to all of those episodes once you're done with this one. Today I'm talking to entrepreneur Janelle Leon, who's the owner of Prick, London's first cacti and succulent shop, located right in the heart of Dalston on the Kingsland Road. As you'll hear in our interview though, Janelle actually started her career in a completely different field, forensic science, before leaving that behind to turn her interest in horticulture into her dream career, opening Prick just under two years ago in the summer of 2016. Prick has quickly become an integral part of the Kingsland Road community and a must-visit Dalston spot. And following on from its growing success and as a response to customers seeking advice and tips on plant care, Janelle actually published a book last year, also called Prick, which was reviewed by the New York Times and has been translated into three different languages to date. I've personally been a fan of Prick since the very first time I even heard of the concept. And in talking to Janelle, it became pretty obvious to me that selling plants is just one part of her vision for Prick and more generally in life. On this month's Ask a Tega segment, our regular career agony art feature, I've got some advice for a listener who's overpaid and understimulated. First up, here's my conversation with Janelle. It all came about when I thought of a cactus shop and I was looking for one online on Google because I actually wanted to go and visit one to buy some cacti. Mm. And then I realised it didn't exist um, here. Um, I think there was one in Paris at the time. And then I just was like, I should open a cactus shop. And it should be called Prick. And it was literally just one. It wasn't like an over... I sat down and I, you know, wrote down different names and I worked with different things. It literally was just like an off the cuff, just a thought. Like if I was to do it, what would it be called? And then I Googled and I was like, how's there not a cactus shop called Prick? Like it just seems so obvious. Um, but then obviously, <laughs> but now I realise that it's quite risque and not everybody has the same sense of humour as me. I grew up in Essex, so everything's, you know, Bants is quite, you know, it's yeah. quite funny all the time. It's all about jokes. I feel like it's the kind of name that works quite well for like an urban area. Like obviously Prick is right in the middle of Dalston. It's, like, it's got a sense of humour to it. Yeah. But that is what I think makes it stand out a bit. Yeah, I did have to choose my location wisely. I know that... If I was to have opened the shop up in, say, maybe Richmond, it mm. might it wouldn't have got the same response as it would have here in like a very, you know, creative, progressive area where people would get the joke and appreciate it. Also, it's the reason why I don't have a massive sign on top of the shop. <laughs> <laughs> I have it like very much on the glass. So it's there, but it's not in your face. Yeah, like a little bit respectful. Yeah. And I want to understand sort of going right back to the start why did you decide to open the store like was it something that you've been thinking about for a while or did it literally just come to you when you were searching for it yeah I, well my love of 
cacti grew quite fast like some people think they'll assume that I've been collecting them since I was a child or anything mm. like that I wish I knew about them as a child um my parents didn't ever have any cacti in the house we had like cheese plants and you know the the usual spider plants and things like that I was about to say because that's kind of what most people kind of tend to have like I'm the same yeah. I had lots of plants in the house growing up but it was never cacti. Yeah, never so um for me I found out about them when I went on holiday to Morocco and I went to the East Laurent Gardens and I was just so overwhelmed by their scale um, and just how beautiful and majestic they were and then I saw these sculptural beautiful beings and I was like oh my gosh these are incredible why haven't we got these in the UK I've got to try and find them and that was already on my mind in that same year I went to Chelsea Flower Show and I saw they've got Southfields Nursery which is the biggest cactus um, nursery in the UK and they were exhibiting and they had hundreds of flowering cacti all of them different species and I was just overwhelmed I think I bought about like four of them really? and had to work out how I was getting them home on public transport <laughs> um, but they were like all incredible cacti and succulents and then what would happen is I'd have to wait a whole other year to go back to Chelsea mm. to go and buy some more mm. I researched where they were and they're all the way up in Lincolnshire that's a four and a half hour drive which I've done as well and I was like I can't be doing this every time I want a plant I cannot be driving all the way up there and then I started to actually see that in offices in homes people were really appreciating house plants and especially cacti and succulents and for me I traveled quite a bit and I noticed how well they fared you know with neglect mm. versus other houseplants which would die on me quite easily because I had a south facing flat and if I wasn't there for two weeks without water they'd usually die off but all my cacti were very loyal and they <laughs> they just they were always there for me outliving lots of my relationships at the time so I really grew like my love for them grew over a few years and I started collecting and I just was trying to find somewhere in London that I could get the same quality and diversity of cacti and succulents and I just couldn't find it so that's when I was saying I was just like I should open one and then as soon as the thought was there it just it just wouldn't leave me alone it plagued me it was like oh gosh this is such a good idea and when I'd say it to people in passing they'll be like that is such a great name it's a really good idea and then I'd start being like okay now no one tell don't tell anyone because I feel like this is so it's so good that someone might hear it and be like actually I might beat her to it so I like had to give up my job and sell my flat because I was starting this business with nothing behind me wait sorry you gave up your job and yeah. sold your flat in order to start the, start the business yeah wow that's a huge sort of I guess I want to say risk but that's a huge commitment to do that yeah I, well I think that it was just it was that way or no other way really mm. and lots of people always ask me like how I did it and it wasn't like I was a kind of risky taken person before now I'd be very honest I was one of those people that was like I've got a stable job and then I saved up and bought a flat and I had a pension you know mm. and all of this I had life insurance and everything that insurance I could have I I did to cover myself <laughs> because I was very much brought up in that way that you know you get to this place and then you get married and then you have the baby mm. and everything's fine so I was basically set myself up in the position just waiting for the husband and baby to arrive mm. and I wasn't happy I was just kind of moving through the motions in life that I thought or was told 
by my community that you do. It was mm. a good thing to have like a stable job, you know, with a good, um, you know, salary and perks and then to be able to afford your own home. And I thought I was on the ladder of success. Yeah. And those are the milestones yeah, that I think definitely were kind of led to believe and, you know, for good reason. And also, you know, somewhere like London, it's hard to buy a place so I can see how you feel like, okay, I'm doing the right thing, but also if it doesn't make you happy yeah that's not really the right thing for you and that's the point that I got to I was like I'm not happy with all of this mm. and I'm just sitting here waiting like for something that I don't know if it's going to come or if it should but it sh my happiness shouldn't be packaged up waiting on this other situation I can be happy right now and that's when I literally took like I had a relationship that ended and I was just like Do you know what I think I need to start again lots of people kept calling me brave but for me at the time I was just like no this is the only thing that I feel I can do I need to just stop and start again I came up with this great idea I didn't have wealthy parents to give me a loan and I didn't have you know any kind of business um, experience before for a bank just to give me money mm. so the only thing that I had fortunately for me was my flat and mm. I was willing to risk it all because I thought what I was going for would be much worth it and, mm. it and it definitely has turned out to be and can I ask what it was you were doing before what was your career before yeah so when I yeah when I gave up my job I was working as an online compliance and fraud analyst Okay. Yeah, so it was completely different. Wait, so actually, can you tell me what that is? Because I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> nodding and pretending that I know what that is, so but I don't know what it is. I worked for Monster, the recruitment company, okay. but they did government solutions. Okay. So we looked after like government websites, all of their like protecting the, the sites from fraud and like compliance issues. So all yeah. kind of risk. So it was all very analytical, mm. non-plant. And was there any element of sort of business in that that you learned mm. from that? No, but I would say business wise, I did pick up skills when I worked in a bank for a really long time. I started when I was at university as a cashier and basically worked my way up into um, investment banking, private banking. And in there, I kind of learned bits of like building the business because with that, you know, you're client's portfolio it is looking at you it manages more like a small business mm. um in the private bank rather than in the commercial bank so I'd say I'll pick up little bits there but mm -hmm. um that's the only I think that was the only exposure I had and also seeing how wealthy people manage their money was very interesting oh really yes. what do you mean by that so as in like we were wealth management so we helped people manage their money so I was always like, I'm helping people make money. I should really be doing the same for myself. Whereas before, like, I think when you get a paycheck and I was still living at home, it was just like every paycheck was just to be spent. So it was like holidays, partying, clothes. I wasn't thinking invest, you know. Long term. Yeah, long term. Yeah. Um, save to then maybe buy a property, even if I'm not going to move, maybe then rent that out. And then, you know, equity, all of those things completely I didn't know anything about until I got into banking and mm. then I learned about stocks and shares investing and all of those things that can make you passive income yeah so definitely. those kind of and then also using things to your advantage so for instance buying the house and then being able to sell it and then get the profit that was you know that made me money in that time mm. so those kind of things and knowing that money's there to make you more that, that it's this change in the mindset that I think my parents' generation and further up had with money where it's like, we don't, you don't just have money to hold on to it and hug it at night. Mm. You try and make it work for you. So those kind of, and more of a risky attitude and seeing the rewards versus, mm. yeah, how I was brought up to be very 
That's a really interesting insight. I want to talk more about money and finances in a second, but just kind of going back to the very start of Prick. So you had this idea, this yep. amazing idea, and you're right, I'm surprised that no one else had done it before. It's so brilliant and it just is so catchy. But when you'd kind of decided you were going to do this, how did you then actually go about opening the space from like a logistical point of view? Like what was the process between okay. idea to opening? In the beginning, I went to a lot of workshops, like mm. business workshops. I rented out almost every business book from my library and mm. I'm not exaggerating. It was like, you know, starting a business for dummies and, <laughs> and every book that I could get um, where it spoke to you about, you know, the insurance you need or where were the workshops that you went to? Um, they were, this is, yeah. So the ones that I went to were based in, well, at that time I was at my parents' house in Essex. Mm-hmm. So they were based in Essex. It was called Enterprise for London and they mm-hmm. still do them. They're free business workshops. Um, I think I've been on, and then there was like the Stratford Business Centre had um, Business for Women, which was amazing. Oh, cool. Yeah, but that lost its funding, unfortunately, oh. but... I know, but that was really great because once a week on a Friday, we'd all get together and you had all these women that had all different businesses that either they hadn't started or they already were running. And then we got like someone, a guest speaker come in and then we got to speak on a various number of topics. Maybe it'd be financing, social media. And then it was also the camaraderie that you got from that. Like, cause you know, it's stressful. <laughs> Starting a business is stressful. You feel very alone. You know, mm. you don't have the income, all of those kind of things. And mm. trying to fulfill a dream while being a parent or a spouse or, you know, and being whoever you have to be in life is, is a lot. It's a lot at the time. So yeah, I went to lots of business um, startup courses. I read a lot of books. I read loads of blogs. And then when it came to like things like actually getting the shop, that was the one thing that I could not get from a workshop. I was about to say, how do you even go about doing that? Especially it's, somewhere like London, like how, cause you're literally in prime location, like you're on Kingston road, but did you decide that you wanted to be in that area or how did you go about just sourcing it? Yeah. With me, I knew I had two areas. I was like, it's either going to be Dalston or it's going to be Brixton. Okay. Now I don't really have much experience with Brixton it's only that I just thought that both areas for the way that the shopping is and I wanted it to be very residential and I wanted it to be quite like um modern contemporary and have a lot of other shops around yeah um I went to Brixton and it was just saturated I didn't see any empty shop and then in the village they were all the stalls the little shops there are too small so that's when I thought, okay, Dalston, I know Dalston. I've always, I've grown up in East London. This is like my area. I know the, the, um, the people, I know the vibe in this area. So I wanted to come here and I literally drove down Kingsham Road and saw a sign saying to let. And I was like, oh, okay. So oh my I, pulled God. Over, I pulled over and then I called up and they were like, actually it's not where they, I've realized this as well. They put signs up above buildings and it's not the building. It's just to get your interest. So I was like, oh, they were like, no, 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 that building's not free, but there is one further up the road at 492. So I parked my car and I drove up the road. I mean, I walked up the road and I got there and it was right next to Warnell's. Oh yeah. So I was just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Yeah. So then I contacted Sharma because I know yeah. Sharma and I was like, Sharma, there's a shop next door to yours that's free. Like I'm thinking of taking it. She was like, take it, take it. Like, really? Yeah, she was like, take it, babe. She was like, 100%, it would be so good. And so then, I, then, then is when it got really tricky because I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's I, like, it's a lease. So I took on a lease. There's different ways you can do it. 
you can there's lots of people what I wanted to do is the easy option where you just rent you know you just rent the space and mm. you pay your monthly rent like you would with a flat like yeah. that you live in and that's fine but with this one it's it was a 15 year lease I know that's what I thought that's a big commitment I, yeah I was like uh 15 years I don't know <laughs> <laughs> where am I going to be in 15 yeah, years I was like, I'm confident but I don't know if I'm that confident you know and then you're scared like for me it's like the fear of I would have to pay the rent for 15 years you know what what, what can I do here and then I spoke to Sharma and she was like babe no you have to look at leases as investments okay. you want it as long as possible because if not I guess what can happen is say I was paying rent mm -hmm. just rent without having a lease they could just tell me in a month's time actually you know this is your, your month's notice or whatever mm. and we need you to leave mm. Whereas with a lease, you've got the 15 years mm. there and it means that you can build the area around you can keep growing yeah. and you're, you're there. Do you get what I mean? And knowing that you're picking a prime location like that, which is only going to, it's always going to be thriving. It's yep. a pretty, somewhere like Kingsland Road is a pretty safe bet, I yeah. would say. So I was extremely lucky that Sharma had the lease next door because mm. she could tell me what she got. So it wasn't like they could you know yeah. do me over yeah because of the fact that I know what she's exactly, got yeah and also she gave me a lot of advice because she'd had a lease before yeah so I was lucky that I was in that position and that's why lots of people ask me now and I tell them everything that I've learned from mm. it but it's really hard because you have to negotiate the whole lease so can I ask about the actual mechanics of it because you say it's 15 years presumably you're not you're still paying monthly rent but you're tied in for 15 yeah, years exactly and what happens if for instance you want to leave a lease early so you Negotiate. Well, so you, the things that you negotiate with a lease is a break clause. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can be five year, it could be eight year, it could be 10 year. So you negotiate a break clause time. So on that day, you literally, I think it's like a two week window mm -hmm. when you could say, actually, I want to get out and, mm -hmm. they, and you're allowed to break it at mm -hmm. that time. If it surpasses, but at the same time, the landlord can get you out at okay. that time as well. Okay. But if it surpasses, then you're in it legally until the end okay. but the best thing to do is to always negotiate that you can sublet your lease yeah, okay there's I know that people I know some people that have got stuck in a situation where they didn't really know that much and they signed off and they weren't able to sublet so always negotiate that you can sublet so that for instance say I wanted to upscale and open a shop somewhere else mm. I didn't want to have this one I could at least then you know Find someone, find someone to else take or do it here, here, yeah. or, you know, yeah. at least it's not, it doesn't have to be just me there. Yeah. Um, also it's things like in the beginning you can get a, you know, a three months free waiver just for you to be able to renovate and move get up in. And yeah. So that's another thing that you definitely want to negotiate mm. in there because, mo and that's something that's quite standard, but if you don't know about it, you're not going to ask. And yeah. if you don't ask, most, you're not going to get yeah. They just want their money. <laughs> They're not going to offer it to you. Yeah. Oh, would you like this grace-free period? Um, yeah. And so it's things like that. And then you've got the insurance. You've got all of the licenses like to play music in the background. You have to have two separate licenses. Wow. Yeah. I would never even have thought of that. Yeah. Two separate. I thought it was just PRS, but there's PRS and I think there's another one, but now they've combined together, which makes life easier, but there's two separate ones. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, you have to pay for your rubbish to be collected. There's lots of things. Lots and little costs or lots. big costs, I presume. Yeah. I think I, I definitely do want to do some sort of like I don't know how to workshop because there's so much and it's and, and you can only really get that information once you've done it. Yeah. There's nothing out there. Like I've, there's no books that I've found, no workshops that I've been to that actually talk about 
leases yeah and running a physical space because that's such i think a different challenge to lots of different types of businesses like running a retail or physical space yeah so you secured your lease yep you know you know you had a launch date all set and you guys opened was the summer of 2016 was it yes yeah so what was the reception like when you first opened like did you have a press pr strategy like how did you go about doing that (laughs) no (laughs) first of all i was supposed to open on one date and it didn't happen the person renovating my shop really let me down and it wasn't done on time so I was crushed because I put everything in we were working all around the clock but in the end it was better opening it was open the week after and yeah I just it was just kind of like a it you know on Facebook you know I didn't do any press I thought I would have had the time to but I was just Mm. it was too all over the place but had a massive massive turnout it was it was really really good was that just from your network and your community of yeah friends? Okay. and then like and then just in the area i think yeah. because people be passing by or coming in new shop yeah it's cool the only thing that i do is something called cactus and chill where in the summer months i get a dj in usually on a sunday mm. and we do like an all-day kind of out on the street everybody hangs about you can come down buy some usually special deals and things like that on yeah. and that's really nice just to get the community together and enjoy the sunshine and things like that but um yeah no actual raves in okay. the shop. i think it, it is really important as a business not just to be there to sell but to also create um a service yeah so and i think when selling plants as well it's something that's so beautiful for your home and it's something that's so nourishing and it's something that you cultivate so to not only like allow people to grow plants but to grow relationships with people not just with me but i've had like lots of neighbors meet each other through my store that don't know each other and i always say to people like oh you used to live across the road from each other oh, or, you know, nice. so, like it's, yeah. so then there have been people that now have become friends like through the store so i yeah. think that is really special that's amazing and can you talk me through a little bit the kind of the design and the arrangement of the shop maybe kind of try and describe it for anyone listening who hasn't been in because I think for me the aesthetic of it is quite an important part of its appeal like it's quite it's very chic and minimal it's a bit like a sort of gallery yeah like what was your process in putting that together I think in the beginning to be honest I didn't really see it as a business it was probably more of a creative project for me because they are like living sculpture mm. I wasn't thinking get as much stocking in as possible you know get the cards here get the books there in the beginning it was just the fact of I wanted it to be very minimal so that we can really concentrate on the structure of the plants mm-hmm. because that for me was the the main thing for me like I love them so much and I want other people to be able to appreciate their beauty and design and structure so I was like, I, I want to have white walls because I have white walls in my house. I wanted to be able to see a plant and imagine them in your home rather than in a gardening shop or a florist. You usually see a row of plants on the tray. You can't see how it's going to look like on your mantle or, you know, on your coffee table. But having them in beautiful pots as well just shows you exactly how you can style them in your home. Yeah. And, and like, I just think that pots are a bit like frames for photographs. They really... They really highlight the beauty of them and elevate them to a next level. That's a really nice analogy. I like that. Yeah. So then, so the front of the shop, if you come in, it's all glass window and I've got an arrangement of large cacti and hanging cacti and succulents in the main window. And then you come through and it's, yeah, it's, it's white walls and we've got wooden flooring and it's, um yeah, it's quite minimal, but it's just uh, lots of plants. And I just really like 
contemporary um, terracotta, contemporary ceramics. So that's what we stock. It's all made by local independent ceramic artists. And then our pots that I designed are made up um, near Yorkshire. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, so you design pots as well? Yeah, that's so we amazing. have our own brand of prick pots because that was another problem. In the beginning, I love plants, but I could never find good pots and they never fit the plants perfectly. But it was so necessary to me to have that. And that was really quite difficult. And I remember my mum at one point being like, do you know, maybe you should just not do the pots. And I was like, nope, the pots are as important as literally like the front door being on. I really struck lucky with my um, pottery mill that I used. They really believed in me. But then I think when we open and it all went really well they said to me they were like no you were really good because they're like you really trusted in your in your design because I had to buy hundreds of them yeah. you know um and they were like you know it, it was a lot of stock to have for it not to work but I really truly did believe that if you've got good design it, it will sell and people will even if they didn't think they wanted it before once yeah. they see it they'll understand like why it works I feel like something that's coming through here is that you've had a lot of kind of self-belief in your ideas. Like you've taken, I, I do think, whether or not you like the word brave, but you have taken risks. Like you sold your flat to fund this. And even something like that, you've kind of hedged your bets. You're like, okay, this is something I've designed. Like where have you gotten that self-belief or confidence from? Or would you even agree with me that that's something that's in your personality? No, I think it is to my detriment sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure my husband's like, yeah, even when I'm wrong, I think I'm right, basically. But I will always admit it once someone's proven me wrong. But I think I've been talking a lot about this lately, actually. I am an only child. Mm. And I think the one um, shared characteristic through only children, depends on maybe with parents, but I had a lot of attention and I had my parents always making my opinion valid. I always felt that my opinion was very valid. They never was like, oh, sh you know, you're a child. What yeah. are you talking about? They always listened to me. I was able to always question things, which is quite unusual coming from a West Indian family. My parents were actually brought me up very liberally. Mm. So I was able to question things and, and put in my two cents, even on adult subjects. Mm. And so I think that from growing up and not having anyone to, you know, be compared to or live up to or have to you know be an example for anyone else I was able to just live my life freely mm -hmm. and be the person who I am as as much as possible I was never told oh Janelle don't do that or that's a bit much or quiet that down and I've always felt a very strong sense of in like really good intuition mm. and gut feeling where it's it, it can sound egotistical but sometimes when you think well if I like that Possibly everybody else will like that. Like a kind of a, a good sense of like a good eye for things, I yeah. think I'd say. And like, and just being able to tap into, oh, that's a good thing right there. Maybe that everybody else hasn't seen yet, but I think it will probably be good. And then you'll notice, oh, actually everybody's on that same thing. I think have, having years worth of that um, kind of just builds up your confidence. Yeah. I did a course, an evening course in floristry while mm. I was working my normal job. Mm. And then I started doing jobs with that. And I just really, and that's when I started being like, okay, I don't need to have a salary to make money. Like it's a bit hard, obviously, as m most freelancers know, mm. you have to really work for your money, but I'll be doing something that I really love, something that, you know, I do for free, basically. Mm. Like it was with the photography. So 
um, with making the business now, I was able to put in all of my loves, like photography, yeah. business, you know, branding, design. It's like, it's the best multifaceted job ever that I know no one would have ever given me because I had no experience in it. So yeah. it was kind of one of those, I was proving something to myself as well. Like I always knew I had it in me to do something massive but it's just the fact that you, it's always a catch-22 when you know you have the skills but you haven't been able to prove them to anyone no one's going to give you a chance to prove them because you haven't got the experience so it's one of those like okay we're gonna have to build the job for myself just so that I can actually like explore all of these avenues see my skills build a lot of skills as well because it's been such a, a, a peak a very steep learning curve. <laughs> I can imagine. No, I totally understand what you mean. I feel like in some ways that's kind of what I've done with Women Who because I worked in advertising and, you know, whilst that's interesting and I use a lot of the skills, I do use a lot of the skills that I picked up work in advertising, what I do now, but there were so many other things I was interested in doing like writing or speaking or, you know, building community that I wasn't getting an opportunity to do and I felt like I'd be good at them or I was definitely interested in them but I don't think I'd have been given that opportunity within any of the kind of jobs that I was eligible for. And so I struck out my own and I went freelance and then I kind of like pulled all those things together into Women Who. So I think it's quite a good sort of example for people listening to know that you can, if you know, if you have faith in yourself, yeah. you can kind of create your own job, which is essentially what you've done. hundred percent. Like people say to me all the time, they come into the shop and they say, oh, how did you learn about all these plants? And I'll be like, the internet. Like <laughs> yeah. literally. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I Google like, you know, how to take care of plants, you know, and then like, eat, like specific information on each plant. And also what I did was I looked for specialists in cacti and succulents in, mm. in the UK. And then I emailed all of them. And then I went and visited loads of them at their homes, went and had tea, you know, played with their dogs. Um, and then we find out specific information like, how do I go about building a greenhouse? Mm. Do you know, where do I buy it from? Mm. What's best, the polyfiber or the horticultural glass? Like there's so many questions which it's like, I don't know these answers, but there's lots of people out there that do. So that is one thing that I always will say to people to ask specific people, specific questions, rather than I get emails just saying, General. How do I, yeah, how do I start a plant business? Or like my, and some of them are like, like the opposite where they'll ask me like 35 questions where if mm. I answered all of them, you'd just be opening a franchise, you know? So in some ways I, I'm happy to answer certain questions, but you know, I can't do all the work for you. Yeah. But that's the one thing that I find, like finding people that are really great at that one specific part that you need to know. And then also just working out what you need to know. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. lease information, you know, finance information, and then making that list and just working down it and mm. trying to work out, okay, so what are the options here? There's lots of information out there, even if you call the council on certain aspects, so if it comes to like business rates. There are like so that. many, like .gov has so many. When I was starting at Women Who, even things like trademarking and like accounting, there are so many like free resources out there, like the British Library have yep. this IP center. That's a, I was in there that, yeah. all the time asking questions. There was this lovely lady called Maureen and it's all free, but I think people don't realize that often you can do a lot of the work. You can find out a lot of the information yourself. You've kind of talked a little bit about how you learn and got a better understanding of money in terms of, sort of wealth building and wealth creation. But in terms of the day-to-day -day accounting and operation of a retail space how did you learn about that because I imagine it's pretty complicated yeah I guess I'm still learning okay. <laughs> <laughs> must be doing all right it's still going well <laughs> that's the thing they always say to you cash flow it's all about cash flow I always hear that what does that mean yeah it's I understand it now what um, does that mean I it means 
most businesses feel, they, when they say cash flow, it means having the available funds there. So people say you've made, I don't know, 20 grand this month mm-hmm. and you've had 15 go out, you've got five there. Mm-hmm. But say next month the rent's in and it's six grand, mm. you don't have the cash flow. Okay. Right? That's what it is. It's mainly because of the fact that people don't plan in advance the money that they need to, to keep go it out. going. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like, for instance, you know, every month you've got all your outgoings of your rent payment, maybe, and staff and stock. And so it's kind of being able to forecast what you need and making sure that you always have money to do that. So if this month you want to invest in a new van, you need mm. to make sure that you've got, after you've bought that van, you've got enough money to do what you need to do in the next month mm. before all of it comes in. So for me, I would say I'm pretty good with numbers. I've always been very good with money. Mm. Um, and I guess then working in the bank as well, it's just one of those things that I don't, I'd say that I wouldn't sit down. I don't do as much as I should do when it comes to looking at, how much is coming in and and doing things like that for me I know how much I've got to put in a reserve and I've always got a reserve there for like say something happened I've got three months worth of rent mm. so that's always going to be there and you never there. touch that yeah I never touch that that's there and then it's just knowing pragmatically every month how much I know is always going to go out and then what I have to play with in between that mm. I know a lot of people that use different apps and there's different ways to you know you know, work out what's the profit here and mm. how much you can reinvest and things like that. But I have not got to that stage yet. Mm. I do employ an accountant. I mm. don't do my own books. I know that you can, you know, get quick books and all of these things. But for me, I prefer being able to send everything to my account. Every month I get a breakdown mm. of how well I've done. Um, and then at the end of the year, they do all of my returns and make sure everything's done on time. Mm. Only in a business, you don't have time. That's one thing that I've learned now. You can try and be superwoman or superman and try and do it all yourself, mm. which I did in the beginning. But there's certain things that you have to just delegate. Mm. So, you know, accountancy, that's off like Mm. as you said before if I had a PR plan Mm. no I didn't I Mm. didn't do anything to do business strategy I didn't have any kind of PR plan I was lucky or well you shouldn't use luck fortunate that it's basically you know cacti zeitgeist and the movement happened as I started so obviously every time a paper wanted to talk about cacti it's like they'll come to me yeah um the shop is really photogenic so yeah. it makes good content. I always try and on a, on all our social media accounts, it's always um, original content. So I take all the photographs and I'm very much, I don't, I think there's nothing wrong with reposting, but I don't repost like every cactus picture that I find. Yeah. I only repost from our, our customers that buy plants and then take them home. Mm. But all the rest of the photography that you see is always mine. So with that, I don't really post that often. Because, yeah. But at the same time, I think it makes the, the brand quite special in that way definitely I think posting original content as opposed to I mean obviously you can kind of do a mix and you know unless you're a very big brand not a lot of people have the time to like be commissioning fresh content all the time but I do think not just kind of being a content aggregator is a really important thing for a brand and has social media been important for you to the growth of prick in terms of people discovering it oh yeah massively I think it's I haven't got that many followers it's like 10,000 because I don't post (laughs) (laughs) hardly ever um but the I what I find is I've got 
10,000 followers, but most of them are engaged. Well, that's the important so thing. So that's is- the thing for me. Like when people come in and they go, I've been following you on Instagram from the beginning. Oh, people who have just learned about the brand. They're like, I just found you on Instagram. I love your page. So I hear that a lot. And I'm like, that's so nice for you to say, because it's been like a month since I last posted. <laughs> so I'm just like, that's really nice. One thing I do is I do get on the stories quite a bit mm. and lots of people do react to them. I um, found the same as well. I didn't think I, I, I wasn't expecting that, but people really respond to that kind of immediate less filtered content yeah. where it's a bit more personal showing yourself they want to see the person behind the brand as well like I very much think of you as the face of prick like I don't think you're it's not an anonymous brand it's not yeah. just prick and then we don't know who runs it like you being part of it I think is part of the story yeah I definitely agree because there's a lot of other plant stores um in London I think the only one that you probably really know the other owner would be like um, Nikki Sutherland that owns Grace and Fawn yeah. and most of the other plants that you do not know who owns it like yeah. I've sometimes googled to just find out who it is um, and I think that's because I guess because I'm a black woman it mm. was also quite unusual like a there's this you know unusual cactus the London's first cactus shop and it's owned by a black woman but they didn't say that in the articles they just had a picture of me which then said it without saying it yeah. sort of thing so and I for me I think being seen is very important for other people of color yeah um especially in horticulture where it is a very white male dominated field um I think now there are a lot of other people kind of being like, oh, horticulture, oh, gardening, you know, floristry. It's becoming more of a thing that everybody can do. Mm. It's not just to one demographic. So I think especially for like young children as well, like being able to see people that look like them in different roles Mm. is so important rather than just being in certain bog standard things that they think they have to adhere to yeah definitely and you were saying earlier about how you know you kind of opened I guess right place right time you know you were kind of at the forefront of this I don't want to say trend but the fact that people are much more interested in plants and succulents and cacti now than they were a couple of years ago and I think Prick has definitely been at the forefront of that and then you've obviously translated that into a book which I think is really interesting like can you tell me a little bit about the book and why you decided to write that and how that's been received yeah, so with the book, um, it's called Prick, Cacti and Succulents. It's a really long title. It's no, say like, it all, because yeah. people listening to this go onto Amazon or into no, a bookstore and buy it. I don't think it. I can remember it. I think it's, <laughs> oh I think it's choosing, choosing, styling, identifying. All of those three words, maybe not in that order. Okay. Um, but yeah, but if you put in Prick, it will come up on there Amazon. There can't be that many books yeah. called Prick. Okay. Um, so um, that's my book. And basically it's it starts off with like a history of cacti and succulents, mm-hmm. um, you know, uses in, within many different cultures, mm-hmm. which I'm really very interested in. And then you've got a whole like um, gallery of, there's about a hundred cacti and succulents that I've picked um, I've photographed and I've given like a little, it's very low jargon because if anyone's read a gardening book before, you get a lot of information. You, you just don't really need to know. Mm. Um, well, not for this, like just keeping them in your house. If you mm. really want to get deep into like how many ribs, how many spines does it have? You know, then I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in my book, it gives you etymology. So I'm very, very into the meaning of the names. Lots of them are Latin. And I think once you find out the meaning, it's quite 
easy to well it's easier to remember the names mm. and then kind of just a breakdown of their their characteristics features how to care for them maybe when they flower what color they flower mm. that kind of information that you just want to know if you've got plants in your home or you haven't been able to identify what this one plant is and now you want to know the name mm. of it so I have a lot of people sending me pictures of their plant on the with the page in the book saying like, oh, I've been able to work out what it is, <laughs> which makes me really happy. And then it also goes into how do you style it in your home? So like, but I'm very minimal with my styling, like, mm. you know, in pots or like hanging, but just some like not too advanced ways. I'm not, I don't do any making in the mm. book. It's just kind of how to repot and care for them as well. So it's all kind of the main questions I get all the time mm. I kind of put the answers into a book mm. and for me I'd wanted to write, write a book but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind I was just mm. like oh it'd be nice if I wrote a book in about a year's time or something that's what after I opened and then I got about four or five publishers offer me a book what just approaching you yeah wow I know that is <laughs> a lot of publishers to be approaching yeah. you about they must have just seen it was the story. Instagram apparently wow I think lots, that's really impressive yeah I, I know I was like what you know it's like penguin and you're like what (laughs) and I've never written anything so you're like okay these people really have a lot of trust in me but I think a lot of people look at the aesthetics of the Instagram and the branding in total and know that it will correlate well into a book um so that's the same with like the front page all the photography is me Mm. and also all the writing is me so it's just the complete package was all Mm. in one and I think they found that was quite a a good little story there as well the fact Mm. that I didn't just own the shop I was able to do all of that Mm. and do it in with our brand identity Mm. so then that came out in October 2017 so it was literally just like a year and a bit after the shop opened wow so yeah so that was pretty crazy because I had to manage the shop and Write promote a book, book and write yeah. a book yeah I can imagine so that was a that was really challenging but I'm glad that I rose to it I know because it's my first book I can see a lot of problems I'm like oh I could do better you're always going to yeah. be like that it's especially, the same with mine yeah especially like when with me I didn't set the deadlines because they were like we need it by then and I was just like oh okay then and I had to like rush it obviously if I had had like a whole year to do the book you know you'd like I had that I think the book would have been twice the size because even in the end I was like can I add another one they're like no no no, no. it has to go to yeah, print yeah it's like no <laughs> stop stop um but I am really happy and I've been I'm happy with the book and I'm just overwhelmed with the response people all around the world that's what's crazy people like messaging me from South Africa being like I love the book and like I've learned so much and people tag me every day and that's something that it's just a really proud moment for me that wasn't ever on my you know I was just wanting to open the shop I didn't ever think oh and then I'll become an author and I'd publish this really beautiful book. Yeah, an author. Yes. So it sounds so you nice know, when you I say it like that. I'm still, still getting used to that. I'm like, I'm an author. So it this is what I do. I kept forgetting when people say, what do you do? I'll be like, oh, I own a shop. And then people are like, oh yeah, but you wrote, I'm like, oh yes, I'm an author as well. Yeah. That's amazing. And because I see that book as quite an important part of, you've talked a lot about branding and I see that very much as like a brand extension of the Prick brand. Obviously it's a book and people buy that for a specific reason. It's a lovely gift. People buy that because they want to learn more about plants. But also from a business point of view, that is a good branding mechanic and it kind of adds, I guess, a certain credibility and sort of a bit more attention to the shop and the brand. Definitely. I would like to say that it was a purposeful move, but I will be honest and say it was just one of these like, oh yeah, afterwards I was like, 
oh yeah like this book is sold worldwide it was only when um a customer came in he said he lives in new york and he's got the book and he said that he had to tell his sister about it who actually lived in london that didn't know about the store and he brought her into the shop wow. because he had the book and he was wow. like i couldn't wait to come he was like that was such a great idea for marketing it and is. i was just, yeah I was like, correct yes <laughs> that was my plan all along yes to get it out in the places that i can't send plants they have a part of the brand and so it's all of those things where you're like ah but then I think that's because I say yes to a lot of things where Mm. as some people might have been I've never written a book before I don't think I've got the time you know with me I'm just like well give it a shot like you know I I just I know about plants I reckon I can string sentences together okay you know it's not a novel um and I can purvey my passion for the plants and and give the information that I think is important or what I find interesting and it's to someone like me it's not for someone that's a specialist Mm. it's for someone that's like I just started with house plants I just want to know how to care for them what's their names what's this all about kind of vibe I need to get your book because I do not have a green thumb. Like I'm a notorious plant killer. I've got like one cactus that is doing okay at the moment, but I'm like straight after this, I'm going to go get a copy <laughs> of the book. It's really exciting. And I think the thing with collaborating with other brands is that it's good to be choosy and quite protective of your own brand. Cause you've built up this brand and it has a really kind of good brand equity and it has a following. Like I think the thing that sometimes people, especially smaller businesses, they can kind of rush into collaborating with someone because they're bigger or they mm. think they'll get followers, but it just dilutes your own brand. Like I always think it's better to just be choosy, say no to certain things if it doesn't feel exactly right. Yeah. And you can, there's always going to be more opportunities down the line with that. 100%. Like integrity for me is very important. Like I definitely say yes, maybe 5% of the time of being asked to do it anything with lots of different brands that's the right ratio yeah it's like because you do have to think like uh, or like <laughs> sometimes it's like these large brands are just like oh cacti are in mm. yeah, go. and then you're like hang on but what how can we relate that to your brand like yeah and what am seems, i getting out of this because yeah, i can see what you're getting out yeah. of this but what is this doing it seems for me? a bit weird yeah. so um so with that if i'm just like no don't get it i'm just totally like nope if yeah. it makes sense to me then i'm like yeah totally on it yeah but yeah i'm very selective um and i've always i think it is important um that's why I mean like there is a difference between running it just as a business I think if I was more like I'm in this to just make the money I would probably said yes to a lot more other things but for me because it is like kind of my creative project so it's it's my integrity on the line not just the business I'm very much like if it's not right for me it's not happening yeah so yeah I think that in the beginning it is quite hard because you think oh I could make that money or maybe that might get me that exposure but I think long term wise like people will appreciate it the people that really, you know, appreciate your brand will be like, okay, yeah. I can the loyalists, you've been yeah. there from day one. You don't, those are the people who are the advocates of your brand and will tell people about it. You don't want to alienate them. Exactly. Um, I want to ask you a few more general questions to sort of finish off. The first one being, what is the most challenging aspect of what you do? So the most challenging aspect of what I do is having the time to do it all mm. and be a daughter and a wife and a friend. Um, In the beginning, I was working seven days a week and I just didn't have time to do anything except for sleep when I wasn't there. Um, 
it, you don't ever switch off. Even when I'm not in the shop, you know, I'm always working. But now I have had to find the balance where, you know, it gets to a certain time and I will not work yeah. or I will not check my phone, you know, for my own well-being as well as being present in the life of others. Mm. So for me, I'm still trying to get that balance of like at the moment I've taken some time off, but then I start feeling guilty about the business. Oh my God, tell business, me about it. The business is kind of like its own living thing. So I'm just like, oh, I don't do social media. Oh, I should have set up the blog by now. Mm. Oh, I have to reply to these emails or like, oh, I have to go buy new stock and oh, I should have put some new shelves in and all of these things. But it's like, I can't do everything, especially I know most people will have a business partner. There's not that many people that run a business by themselves mm. but it is just you also just the, all the answers come down to you as well all the decision making comes down to you so I find the hardest aspect is just having enough time to do it all so it's one of those things that you have to keep on it all the time you have to know what you're doing you have to know your competition but yet you have to still be a human on the flip side of it so I think it's just that yo-yoing of emotions and being able to stay calm like I've learned so much from owning the business that certain things that would like if it happened I'll just burst into tears and be like oh this is so terrible what happened now and I'll be like yeah whatever like you get a bad review it's just like oh whatever you know because there's so many trolls out there or people that want to just complain but in the beginning you're just like my baby why are they saying this about it but so it makes you pretty tough but I don't want it to harden me too much that's the thing so what part of your job do you think people would find most surprising or what has surprised you most about running a shop what surprised me most about running the shop is the responsibility mm. like having something brick and mortar I really I really am envious of people who have online businesses only like <laughs> the fact that you you know you have to look after staff you know, you've got all the physical elements. So I did the toilet went the other day. I had to get the plumber in, pull up the floorboard, you know, all of these kind of things where it's like, and then when it happens, you have to just be reactive, you know, graffiti on the front, reactive, you know, it's, it's constant. So I think owning the shop, a physical space, it is a very large responsibility and it's like having two homes basically mm. and especially when you're not there all the time it's like keeping up with the stock knowing what's going on but not knowing what's going on but not wanting to micromanage so that's it's physically draining mm. I think people do see like florists like I know the life of a florist is even harder than what I'm doing because of the fact that their plants are dying whereas mine stay alive so they're constantly trying to you know recondition them and keep them going and then put them on sale and all of that kind of thing with me at least with my plants that they're, they're here to stay and what advice would you give to someone who wants to open their own shop like what's the one bit of advice that you wish someone had told you or maybe someone did tell you know your area like really know it know who's living there you know, make sure that whatever product you're bringing in is wanted by the area. I think that's so important. I was lucky that I, I knew the area, so I didn't really have to do that research. But I've heard of people opening shops and they've not done too well because of they've picked something where they need a residential area and they're just not in it mm. sort of thing. And also, I guess it'll be two parts of advice. The second one is that it's okay to cry. All of us shop owners, we pretty much cry quite a bit I'm not saying that in a sad way it's everyone that owns a shop will be agreeing going yes it's you it's like such a love hate yo-yo mm. where you're just like 
oh, why is it taking all this time out of my life? Mm. And then times when you're like, I love you. I love you, my lovely little shop. And you'll be in there <laughs> being like, oh, look what we've created. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a constant yo. And then you'll go back to being like, oh, I'm so tired. Why am I here at like 12 o'clock taking pictures of cacti? You know, I should really <laughs> be at home, you know, sleeping. So yeah, I think it's those two things. Just know your area. And then once you're there, really get to know everybody around you and then just be aware that it is a yo-yo I think it's really good that you're honest about that because I think often sometimes people just see the like Instagram veneer of the instant or they think things are instantly successful and it's difficult running your own business striking out on your own running a physical shop I'm sure Mm. is difficult and I think it's important for business owners to be honest about the ups and downs of that kind of lifestyle my final question for you is quite a deep one Um, what is your definition of success? My definition of success is living your life in the most truest form where no matter what anybody else thinks of it and whether they think you're crazy for selling your house to buy a cactus shop or not, like, (laughs) which I got, I decided not to tell that many people that I was selling my house to do it. But, um, for me, yeah, it's basically really truly, truly knowing yourself. And I think that's really the problem. I think we kind of go through life just kind of going through the motions and don't really stop to think, is this actually what I want? Yeah. Like, what is it that I want? What is it that makes me happy? What, when is it, what are the things that I do in life where I'm just completely in flow and I don't even think about time and I can mm. get lost in it. And those are the things that you should do. And people that make you feel that way, they're the people you should be around. Um, and for me, it was kind of like restarting and knowing that, if I was living my truest life, I could be the most honest version of myself. And then I'd attract the people I should be around mm. rather than if you're not being honest, you're going to attract the wrong people because you that's not the person you are. Mm. And it all just did just fall through like that. Like I was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do the store. And then like the people I've met through the store are people that appreciate what I appreciate and then and see me for the person I am now. And the same with me and my husband, like so much happened in literally three years mm. when I was just like, this is it. I'm going to just start again. And I'm going to really, and it was the same in my head. I was like, I'm going to redefine what I think as, as success, like a successful life. Isn't just like just owning a house and having being married and, and having a baby, even though obviously I want, I want all of those three things, but not, it's not for everybody. And it's not something that I think should be our main focus and forget about living in the moment and being happy today. It's not about being happy when you're 60 and you've retired and you've got grandchildren Mm. running around you. It's about being happy today. And if that means that you're renting in an area that you really like um, so that you can be around, you know, the things that you enjoy doing and the people you enjoy doing rather than, you know, trying to buy a house somewhere where you know no one, I think that's what you should do. I think it's just all about, really truly sitting and being by yourself and I think that's why taking yourself out of situations I did that for eight months after I sold my flat I went away from everybody that knew me all of the like I didn't have to be a daughter I didn't have to be a friend I I could just be me and really align myself again with myself because when you go through relationships in life I feel like a little part of you changes. Absolutely. Each time, you know, each relationship you go into, if it's a romantic one, and even just like for what people see as you as, like you could completely change on the inside, but people will still see you. If you've known people for 15 years, Mm. they're still going to see you as the same person. Mm. And then they'll have those same constraints on you. Mm. Oh no, you can't do that. Oh no, that's not for you. Do you know Mm. those kind of things? Where inside you're thinking, oh, 
I, I thought I could, you know. So it's just about building yourself up and really being like, okay, I know what's best for me and I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it unapologetically. I'm just going to be me kind of vibe. So I think that is that is the truest form of success, I think, is just to know yourself and to be living your truest life and, and not to care about what anyone else thinks about it. That is such a lovely and inspiring note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Janelle. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And everybody go and check out Prick. It's on Kingsland Road. Thank you. On today's segment of Ask Ortega, I've got a letter from a listener who feels overqualified and overpaid for the work she's doing and doesn't know what to do about it. Here it is. Dear Ortega, I'm currently in a very strange position at work. I've been a news writer for the past two years and it's a fairly monotonous job that pretty much just requires me to do the same thing every day. To clarify, I'm not an actual news reporter. My job essentially involves me rewriting news that has already been published by other sources. But the funny thing is, the pay is actually pretty good, possibly even too good for a person in my position. What's even funnier is that my position is officially that of editor. So I'm in a paradoxical situation. I have a well-paid job and a good job title, but I'm basically doing an entry-level job. I feel stuck in this situation and don't know what to do. I'd really appreciate your help. You are sincerely overpaid, but understimulated. Okay, so I think your first point of action here is definitely to talk about the way you're feeling with your boss or line manager. And explain that, you know, whilst you enjoy and are appreciating your current role and responsibilities, you feel like you might be ready to take on new, more challenging responsibilities and tasks. I will caveat everything that I'm about to say by saying that this is only a possibility if there's actually scope for that within your company's business model. Because from your letter, it does sound slightly like the model here is more that of a sort of news or content aggregator as opposed to a publication that actually does original reporting. And if that's the case, there might not be that much scope for you to be doing more of the sort of work that you clearly want to be doing as that's just the nature of the company and that's probably the nature of your job and what you are hired to do. However, if there are other more sort of interesting and stimulating roles within the company, then absolutely broach this topic with your boss. So the first thing I would do is send him or her an email suggesting that you want to grab coffee over the next week or two and that you want to discuss your current responsibilities and career progression, which I think is also a good thing to do as an employee. Like It just generally makes you look quite engaged and proactive. So it's not a bad thing to send your boss that sort of email. And also it means that they'll kind of know what the tone of the conversation is going to be. Nobody wants to be blindsided when they're having a conversation with someone they manage. So just make sure that you kind of signpost it in the email that you're sending but you don't need to say everything that you want to say because it's the kind of conversation that's better had in person and then when it comes to the actual meeting itself I think it's really important to keep your tone positive when you're sort of describing your current predicament so don't say something like you're bored or you know you don't like what you're doing because that's quite negative rather try and give the situation a more positive spin and explain that while you enjoy your current role you enjoy your current responsibilities you'd like to explore the possibility of doing some more challenging work and being given greater responsibility. 
I think approaching it that way means that you'll come across as a valuable employee who's looking to progress as opposed to someone who's ungrateful or disengaged. Um, I'd also try to go to this meeting having done your research. So look around the company, talk to your peers at similar companies who are doing similar jobs so that you actually have a better picture of the type of work that you'd like to be doing. And so you can actually make some suggestions around what sorts of tasks you want to take on. You don't want to just go in and say, hey, I want to be more challenged and then just leave the problem at your manager's feet to sort out. So be proactive and making a few suggestions about roles or projects that you'd like to take on. As I said before, this advice probably only really applies if there's genuinely scope for you to be doing more interesting work within the company. If it's just not that sort of business model, then you need to look at that and be honest with yourself and start looking for a new job. Because I do think over time, being sort of stagnant and not progressing is only going to damage your career and you don't want to be stationary. But if that's the case that you decide that you probably do need to look for a new job, I think definitely take heart in the fact that you've got a really good job title on your CV already. So that's definitely going to add extra weight to your applications and make it a little bit easier for you to get interviews and that sort of thing. So good luck and let me know how you get on. If you've got a career question you'd like my advice on during next month's Ask a Taker segment, just email podcast at womenwho.co and let me know what's on your mind. And that's it for this month. Thank you for tuning in. For more career inspiration and information, follow Women Who at Women Who on Instagram and Twitter, or head to our website www.womenwho.co forward slash newsletter to sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Roundup. That's www.womenwho.co forward slash newsletter. You can find me at Otega Uagba on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to subscribe. And as always, please leave us a lovely five-star review whilst you're there. See you next time. Yeah, yeah.